Hello, this is Mike Gettle and Steve Carpenter from Yakima Chief Hops. Welcome to the seventh episode of our second season of Beer, Baseball, and Vines. Today we're being joined by Mike Shalal from Pipeworks Brewing in Chicago. Uh, and before we get to Mike, uh, Steve, uh, what's going on out here in, in the hop world these last uh, couple of days? Beautiful weather here in the valley. Yeah, the weather's been uh, really good. And uh, I, I get a kick out of our friends down in Oregon that grow hops. They'll, they'll, they're known to cancel commission meetings and budget meetings when the sun's shining and they can get <laughs> out in the fields. And, and they did that here recently. But the weather's good. It's the first part of May, so growers are uh, hopefully winding up their twining and, and getting their timing dates down for all the varieties. And uh, I think we're off to a pretty good start in all three uh, states. It was funny, Bruce Davidson, one of our growers from Oregon, was up in the office this morning, and uh, uh, he was saying, you know, they had that extra water, now they're starting to have to, 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 to irrigate or, mm-hmm. or, or turn on the uh, the guns because it's gotten a little dry. Yep. So that's uh, that's Oregon, I guess, that's, right? That's kind of abnormal for Oregon to be dry. But, uh, well, it must have been a premonition because Bruce is, uh, is the only Yankee fan I know of amongst all of our growers or owners, and... Uh, we find out that uh, although Mike's working in Chicago, he grew up a, a Yankee fan in Connecticut. Mike, welcome to our <laughs> podcast, and uh, and uh, we're trying your uh, Ninja Unicorn. I guess this is your flagship beer, right? This is fantastic. Yeah, yeah thank you for having me on. It's actually uh, a beer we've been brewing basically the entire time we've been open. The second batch we ever brewed was a version of that. It's obviously gone through some iterations over time, but uh, yeah, it's our, our flagship beer. Double what, IPA. What what uh, what hops do you have in this one? It's uh, it's a full-bodied uh, double IPA. You can certainly taste mm. uh, taste it. Tastes great. I can taste a little Simcoe and maybe some Citra as well. And there's but, what, yeah, uh, Simcoe, Citra. There's also Columbus and Falconer's Flight. In that guy. Oh, wonderful. Oh, nice. so, yep. Yeah, our uh, one yeah. of our uh, blends that we do for uh, our. Uh, uh, part of our scholarship uh, yep. fund for uh, for aspiring brewers. It's a exactly. great, it's a good blend, but it's also a nice clause behind it. So, yeah. oh yeah, it's it's been great. I mean, since that was one of the we we opened, we were very very small, so we couldn't really uh, you know have a contract. We didn't have any any ability to get the hops we thought we wanted. So Falconer's Flight was a great way to get the flavor profiles we wanted without having the necessarily the name brand of the Citras or the Simcoe's or the Mosaics at the time. And Mike, what what's your role at Pipeworks, and how long have you been there? Uh, so I started at Pipeworks about four to six months after they opened in 2012 mm-hmm. um, as a volunteer. Uh, I now oversee like all daily operations. Uh, I'm head of recipe development and the barrel aging and raw ingredient sourcing. Kind of just do a little bit of whatever needs to get done to make sure everyone has what they need to do their jobs. Mm-hmm. Well, I know you know uh, you've you've uh, you've ridden up the the tiger of uh, of growing demand and. Uh, like everybody else went through a little bit of growing pain. Maybe, can you tell us a little bit about that and then coming back on track now, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, going through growing pains? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so we started in a 2,000-square-foot building, and we the only way we could package beer was in 22-ounce bottles. Now, we started at a time when we were the maybe the fourth packaging brewery in Chicago at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we, we were kind of just kind of figuring it out. And no one who worked here at the time had ever worked in any other breweries. People which were home brewers and really enthusiastic about it. So there's obviously plenty of growing pains you encounter when you you know you, you have, have long days or you do things where you're like, why didn't it turn out the way we wanted it to? Mm-hmm. So there's those natural growing pains. There's also the fact we outgrew that space really, really quickly mm-hmm. um, within a, a few years. And um, we started, we got, got all of our funding from Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we have, so we have no outside investment. We wanted to keep it that way as we grew. 
So finding a bank that would work with us as a kind of a, a smaller company that would help us get an SBA loan to move into the facility we're in now was uh, you know, more of a struggle, kind of being being kids really. Mm-hmm. The founders were 28 when they founded the company, mm-hmm. um, and so they're like 30 and 31 when they're going through that. And uh, we were able to find a, a 27 square foot facility, thousand square foot facility, which we're in now, which is where all of our production is out of. All the barrel aging happens, and um, yeah, I mean it's been a not, not, nothing out of the realm of ordinary growing pains for any brewery that sure. you know, is moving a, a thousand miles an hour while trying to keep quality up. So, uh, and, and are you yeah. in uh, Chicago proper, or at, are you a little bit west of the city in one of the suburbs? I can't remember. No, we're in Chicago proper. We're in a neighborhood called Hermosa, okay. which is like kind mm-hmm. of uh, northwest of the Loop, which is like the downtown area. Yeah, so maybe like uh, four or five miles northwest of that, sure and then not. probably like three and a half miles southwest of Wrigley for people say. who know where that is. So a little bit more to the north side, but you yourself uh, go go down to the south side more because you get your beer in, into uh, what's the new stadium called? I always want to call it Comiskey. Uh, so do I. We're old guys. We, we want to call it Comiskey. Everyone jokes about it, but it's, it's, I think it's called Guaranteed Rate. Deal now. The there White we Sox, go. But, yes, that's uh, the name. Yeah. So, and my mom actually grew up on the south side of Chicago, so she's a White oh. Sox fan. So oh, okay. I, I grew up coming out here during the summers and going there. But uh, a few years ago, they they parted ways with uh, their big macro contract and they opened up the the ballpark to a lot more craft beer options mm-hmm. so they have some like place called like the craft cave where you can go and get you know cans of um of different craft beers we were actually one of the one of the top selling beers there last year i haven't looked at the numbers this year though but nice. lizard king was a was a, a big seller for us there nice when, when i'm yeah. in chicago during the summer which is rare but it's a rare <laughs> treat I get a hotel close to the red line because mm. I go north for the uh, to Wrigley and yep. south to uh, guaranteed rate. I guess is what yeah. they call it yeah. now. Yeah, uh, yeah. If you live here, if you live here long enough, you end up doing what we call like the red line doubleheader, where you go to a Cubs game <laughs> and take the red line down to the White Sox yeah. and watch their night game. And, but, and the yeah. the one thing you find out very quickly is White Sox fans don't particularly like Cubs fans. <laughs> uh, yep. that, yep. And, and yeah. It's one of those rivalries where it seems like White Sox fans make sure you know that they don't like Cubs fans, and Cubs fans don't seem to really care. It's <laughs> it's kind of like the Cougar Husky thing here. You right. know, we Cougars absolutely hate Huskies, and they don't really care that we right. like them or don't. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was uh, I've been to a couple games in Wrigley and, and a couple at uh, Guaranteed Rate, although I think they called it U.S. Cellular the last time I was there. Yeah, they, um, they called it U.S. Cellular for a while, even after U.S. Cellular wasn't even in this market, so that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of some free advertising there, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. But uh, I was actually there in July of 2009 when Mark Burley threw the 18th perfect game in oh, Major League game. history. Oh, we, wow. We, we were actually at that game, and That's it was awesome. really weird. I met, I was in uh, St. Louis, and I had some friends flying into Chicago, and they said, hey, why don't you come? We'll spend the weekend, watch a couple baseball games, and just randomly we go to this game, and, and Mark Burley threw. In fact, I think at the ballpark they still have out in left center field on the wall, they've got the catch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that was a catch that – uh, Dwayne Wise, Dwayne Wise, he yeah. was put in as a defensive replacement late in the game and went up and caught it in his mitt and flipped it back and then actually caught it on the way down to preserve yep. the the perfect game. But uh, yeah, that's a that's a very famous uh, <laughs> famous three seconds in this city. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mark Burley is is, is if we were trying and we're always working on continuous improvement and mm-hmm. and, and six sigma and lean lean efficiency. 
what an efficient pitcher he was. Oh, I mean, he's, he's, yeah. he's, he's a guy you like to watch because boom, boom, boom. Right. Get the ball, throw the ball, right? Get, get it through it, get it through it, don't mess around. And, and, so, and he'd throw yeah. the kitchen sink at you. Yep. I mean, you never knew what was coming next. He just Changing speeds. And, yep, yeah. Yep. No, it was, he was a great pitcher. How often yeah, do you get down uh, to the south side, uh, Mike? Uh, I've only been once so far this year, but I'll probably go to about 10 games a year. I'll try to go to every time the Yankees play the White Sox, um, which is usually three games a year. Um, but yeah, I'll go 10 there and then maybe five at, to, uh, to Wrigley, which I actually live closer to, uh, mm-hmm. to Wrigley, but, um, it's much more affordable to go down to guaranteed rate. <laughs> they also have dollar hot dog nights on Wednesdays. So, you know, you get in the stadium for $7 and eat as many hot dogs as you can for like, perfect, you know, for a pretty affordable day. Yeah. So nice. does, uh, when you go in and you're ordering a, uh, a Pipeworks beer, does Jerry Reinsdorf give you like a 50% off if you show your employee card at Pipeworks? Yeah, we're super close. Me and Jerry hang out a lot. He's at the brewery right now. He's just, uh, in the bottle shop. Yeah, he's, he's capping them, right? So. Yeah, he's buying some bombers. All right. Uh, yeah. So you grew up in uh, you grew up in Connecticut, and so grew up watching the Yankees. Uh, so, uh, what what were the teams that you were watching when you were a kid? Who were your players that you enjoyed? Oh man! Uh, so I was like at the perfect time to fall in love with the Yankees because I was uh, seven years old in 1996. So when they started that great run, yep. Um, my favorite player was uh, actually went to the World Series clinching game when I was seven. It was like a kind of sealed it for me. That I was going to cool. be a Yankees fan for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, but Bernie Williams was my favorite player growing up. Yep. Mm-hmm. I just loved the center fielder. Uh, yep. Won a batting title. Kind of quiet, went about his business quietly. Uh, you know, everyone loves Derek Jeter, but you know, he's pretty mainstream, so I <laughs> thought I should yep. give my support to, uh, to Bernie Williams. I'm not sure uh, everybody likes Derek Jeter. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. If you're a Yankees yeah. fan, you if you're, have if to. you're a Mariners not, fan. Not anymore, I guess. <laughs> not the best owner, apparently. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, Bernie Williams, big, big one. Yeah. Uh, you know, before the PED things, uh, I was a second baseman I played, so I was a big uh, Robinson Cano guy. Mm-hmm. There you go. Uh, when he first came up. Yeah, um, yeah and uh, so I was going to games since I was like four or five with my dad, and he we lived in Connecticut, and we would drive in, and he would always try to leave early mm-hmm. so that we could beat the traffic. And so I get to be like, you know, 17 or so. It's the last year of the old stadium that we're yep. going to a game. Yep. And he's like, all right, let's get out of here. I'm like, Dad, I've never seen Mariano Rivera pitch in person. I've been playing these games since for like, you know, for a very long time. Like, we're going to stay. I'm going to watch him close this game out. He's like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that. It's like, you haven't seen him either. He's like, yeah, I never thought about that because we were never there for the ninth inning. So Well, you knew uh, it was over if he was coming in. That was part of it, right? So. Yeah, but you want you want to watch it. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You want to see is that how good that cutter actually is. It's very mm. good. Well, that that team, yeah, those teams from uh, yeah '96 through kind of 2001. That that was what a incredible group. And even then, I mean, we joke about the Yankees, but that was a group of players that they they did it right. You know, they really did. Yeah, so. it was mostly homegrown. You know, the, the core four as they talk yep. about, but also Bernie Williams. Yeah. Paul O'Neill. Yeah, Paul O'Neill. Scott yeah, he, Brochus, he was, all he, those guys. Yeah. Yeah, neither of those guys were actually came through the farm system, but they were also like kind of those grinder guys, yep. you know, mm-hmm. guys that just were really hard on themselves. They didn't play well. Brocious, yeah. you know, might only hit two hundred, but he's going to make every play at third base. Yeah, so, sure. Yeah, you know, Tino Martinez. Really well. Uh, yep. Tino Martinez was on some of those teams uh, coming from the yeah. The well, Mariners, like, uh, so. n- yeah, ninety six was kind of my like uh, 
when I kind of came online and realized what was going on. So I was listening to something recently. I forgot how big a part of the 95 Mariners team he was. Yeah. And then to come and replace Don Mattingly, I was, it was, so that was like slightly before my time. But thinking about it now, it's like, yeah. that, what a, what a tough position he must've been in. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and he really excelled. He was a fantastic person that had having that lineup. Yeah. We Mariner fans love to talk about that 95 season. And then, of course, <laughs> the Yankee fans like to talk about the 96, 97, 98, Right, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't even remember. 2001, I was, 2000. I was too young to remember the 95 season. Yeah. Yeah, so. <laughs> well, it was funny, yeah. you know, uh, that uh, sort of, yeah, our longtime listeners know Steve's a Mariners fan. I'm a Twins fan, and the Twins just played the Yankees three, and the Mariners are playing them right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I hadn't paid that cl- I knew the Yankees were hurting, but – my goodness, I, I didn't realize how badly decimated the starting players have been and uh, the, the people they were sending out there. I just didn't recognize most of those names. I mean, obviously, you know, Brett Gardner and a few others, but yeah. it was a lot of people right now that are yeah. playing that didn't know them. Yeah, and they've still, it's crazy, taken, yeah. still taken two out of three against the, the Mariners. <laughs> and, so. and the Twins, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, at one point their ace, their starting catcher, their starting first baseman, uh, they're starting third baseman, they're starting shortstop, they're starting left fielder, center fielder, and right fielder, mm-hmm. and their uh, their elite cl- like setup man, not their closer. We're all on the DL. Yeah. So like the entire team. Oh, and Giancarlo Stanton. Yeah. So like the, yeah. the, the DH. So their entire team essentially was on the DL without exaggerating. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I've been following a lot of how they've been structuring their organization from top to bottom. I just read a book called uh, Inside the Empire recently. And they're all about the analytics and having depth. So when, even when they're sending up people that might not be household names, they have they've scouted them and found them in other you know other slots and other other uh, franchises. So like Luke Voigt, for example, who's been by far their best offensive player this mm-hmm. year. Maybe mm-hmm. Garrick Sanchez, you can argue that. Yeah. But he, they just got him for basically international signing pool money and mm-hmm. uh, it, like a reliever from Cardinals last year, and he's. Yeah, been on base. He was on base for like thirty-five or forty-something straight games, and and, and the know, plan, kind of person you would never expect, but like as a replacement-level player, that's pretty yep. great. Yep. yep. And and the plan must be working because I think they're like twenty-one and sixteen. Yep. With all yeah, these that, players yeah. on the DL, and and when everyone's back, which they should be sometime yep. over the next couple of months, yep. uh, they're yeah, going to be a force a, to be reckoned with. Yep. Yeah, I was watching a game the other day, and a, a stat came up that like since like April 14th or something, they had the second best record in baseball. Mm. And even I don't know who's coming to the plate every once in a while. I'm like <laughs> I don't know who Gio or Shoa is. But I would find out. So. I have to say, watching those guys though, they 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 have a physique a lot closer to Babe Ruth and Derek Jeter for most of those guys. So <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was calling them the New York Pudgies when I was watching them uh, a couple of nights right. ago. So, but they're they're playing. They can play. That's that's yeah. Right. Elite athletes they are not. But uh, <laughs> they're catching the throwing and they're hitting it all right. So, yeah. Yeah. so, so how's uh, how's the Chicago uh, beer scene? Tell us a little bit more about Pipeworks. I know you, you guys are doing well. You're making great beer. What you know? It's uh, it's as you mentioned, uh, uh, guaranteed rate fields got a lot of craft. And how how about the rest of the city? It's uh, doing well from from a, a distribution point of view, a consumption point of view of beer. Yeah, I mean, it has really really expanded and blown up uh, since we started for sure. Well, we were the fourth packaging brewery in the city proper, and I think there's probably over 100 now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there used to be a point where not only did I know every single brewery in the Chicagoland area, like I knew someone who worked there, and I could like, go, and now I I can barely keep up. So, mm-hmm. uh, And it seems that they're all – I've yet to have any really 
poorly constructed beers, to be honest. So people are making really good beer, which is great. Yep. Um, and pe- consumers seem to be really enjoying it. And we also have an environment where bars and restaurants really support craft beer and they, they like to carry and bring it in, um, which is, uh, is great for us. I've been to like New York city. I don't see that quite as much. It's a lot more tap room driven and a lot more specific beer bars. Yep. Um, so yeah, it's been, Chicago's always been a very, uh, humble, but very, um, progressive culinary city. I think you're right. I think it's an underrated food uh, city. I think it's got great foods of different style. You know, you kind of know about Chicago deep dish. That's a kind of a common thing, but there's great food in so many restaurants there. It really is a foodie place. Well, it's also, it's very much still Midwestern in that you can spend any amount of money and still get fantastic food. So if you really Mm want to go to the top end of the scale, you go to like Alinea and spend, you know, $600, $800 on a meal, but you can also just go down the street and get a burger for six bucks and Mm -hmm. it's going to be great. Um, but that also requires that the people that are going to the restaurants be open-minded to a whole bunch of different types of things. So that has bled over into the beer consumer for sure. Um, I mean, are you seeing changes in what, uh, your, your beer consumers are asking for and drinking? Or are they going hoppier? Are they going more back to the craft lagers? Are they f- flown towards glitter or what, what are, what are you seeing with your <laughs> consumers right now? I've yet to see too much glitter in Chicago. It might be a little uh, 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 Chicago with more blue, blue, blue collar, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's it's where you know the the low IBU, high hop character beers. Uh, those are very certainly popular and gaining more popularity. So like the, the New England style kind of stuff. Um, but also there's a definitely a resurgence of craft bloggers. I'm actually drinking our Pilsner right now. Uh, just just at a place called Maplewood, I had to borrow some some ingredients from them, and they were most excited about their uh, their Czech pills. There's a brewery called um, Dovetail that it does almost exclusively uh, Bavarian style lager, mm-hmm. and then they also but they also do Cool Ship uh, inoculated wild mm-hmm. beer. So they're they're kind of on, on two different ends of that spectrum. But lager is definitely popular. Um, I would say. And this is a city that had a lot of German people for a very long time. Sure. So German, a lot, a lot of, of Eastern European, and yeah. Yep. No. Yep. 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 So uh, there's places like, you know, the Donkhaus or Laschitz and all those that they mostly still carry the traditional German, you know, beers. They don't really uh, open up the doors to our craft, our American versions of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But those are inflection points where people who might not normally have been exposed to, you know, a lager or something like that can have a really, really good, uh, high quality lager it's not you know budweiser or something like that mm-hmm. so they are, when they see our pilsner they're more uh, able to understand what it is and why they should be drinking it yeah. mm-hmm. i've often wondered how many barrels of old style is consumed <laughs> at a typical cubs game because holy cow oh i mean my God. The, the games i've been there i think most of the fans are more into quantity than quality but uh oh, I was yeah, say, yeah. uh wrigley that, probably kept g heilman in business uh you know just through old style is the only yeah. reason people went to lacrosse yeah. was to get uh, get that so that's well, uh you know the wonderful thing about wrigley in my opinion is uh, just the neighborhood you've mm-hmm. got a ballpark that literally sits in a neighborhood and there's all these neighborhood pubs and whatnot and it's been well, probably that, five or six years since i've been there and i know yeah that's changing Go- a little bit now yeah i know goose island has a uh, uh brew pub there mm-hmm. in the that neighborhood. actually that's that closed oh really yeah, so the Ricketts that own the Cubs have been buying up the real estate around the stadium. Because you mm-hmm. can't really, you know, it's one of those stadiums you can't knock it down and build a big one. Sure. Right. So there's a finite amount of people you can get in the stadium. Yeah. 
So now they're trying to create the experience all around it. So yeah. everything right around there is kind of there's there's still some like there's Murphy's Bleachers and there's a bunch of places that are uh, there's Cubby Bear still there Sluggers those are all still over there but um, a lot of the character of that place as the, as it being a neighborhood is is kind yeah. of going away and replacing being replaced by uh, things oh, that uh, are extensions of the stadium yeah. more or less. I wonder if anyone's thought of building bleachers on top of a building <laughs> outside oh, oh, yeah. of the stadium. Oh, they, oh, they have them. <laughs> yeah, I know uh, they do. And, and so. The Reinsdorf also purchased a bunch of those buildings, so they actually own those seats as well. Okay. And the ones that they couldn't purchase, they built jumbotrons in front of. Okay. Oh, gee. <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. when you when you go, but the people that own those buildings still try to sell you tickets. So when you go and get like rooftop tickets, yeah. you got to make sure you can see the view, and it's not just looking at the back <laughs> of the the jumbotron in like a left or right field. Oh, when I stuff. when I first started my career it was at the Chicago Board of Trade and uh, the oh, wow. trading hours closed at one fifteen, so you could get out and then you could run up and by the second inning get in a Cubs game and so a lot of a lot of people oh, down sure. on the on the floor used to do that and that was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, and they, they still do a lot of day games too, which is kind yeah. of fun if you yep. you know you got to take take the day off and go see a baseball yep. game. Yep, absolutely. It's uh, yeah. usually it's business related. You got to have some kind of conversations over a beer and a game. You know, you can't do everything <laughs> in an office and on a phone. So. Oh yeah, and I've you know most of my friends here are Cubs fans, and so you know, I'll go to with them to these games. And it's important to like two of my friends that they go to the first night game every year. So I went with them this year, and it was about thirty five degrees out. And the wind chill was <laughs> yeah. about twenty nine. And so I'm saying there, I'm a, I'm a big baseball fan. And I'm like, we're into the fourth inning. I'm like, can we get out of here? It is freezing. And they're like, well, look, look they're down like five to nothing. And true Cubs are like, maybe uh, we'll wait till they hit. And then if they don't tie it up, then we can get out of here. Right. And so it's like, all right. It's the third, it's like the seventh game of the year. They really need to tie it up in the sixth inning. But uh, yeah, you'll, you'll see some games like that where last year we went to the opening day at a guaranteed rate and it was snowing. So, <laughs> well, yeah. 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 Upper Midwest fan, in April, you know yeah, about. I know that one. Yeah. yeah, right. I mean, we we had snow into into May this year, so what, you never know what's going to happen. What's uh, I I haven't you know I don't I follow the American League a little bit closer than the National League because of the Twins, but why haven't the Cubs re-signed Madden yet? What's going on with that, and why is there a a reasonable probability that he will not be coming back next year? And what do you think uh, about you that? Know, I, I don't know. I can't speak to that specifically. As a general trend, I would probably say that teams like the Cubs that are heavy into analytics don't see the value of the manager as being as much as they're going to have to pay him, mm-hmm. is what I would guess. Mm-hmm. But they have, you know, the whole analytics team is really making most of the decisions, and it's just his job to execute the plan. Mm-hmm. So I think that they just need, they would rather spend less money on someone who will execute the plan just as well as him. I think there's a lot less in-game managerial decisions being made by the manager. Yeah. First, that's the case with the Yankees too and Aaron Boone, where he's making some, but it's mostly predetermined by the analytics and uh, matchups and stuff like that. So that would be my guess. I don't know. I'm not, I don't have Theo Epstein yeah, yeah, here anymore. Yeah. Next thing um, you know, they'll be hiring computers to be field managers. I mean, that's, that's almost <laughs> AI the is taking everyone's job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Umpires yeah. and managers. Yeah. I, I hope they don't ever go to AI on calling balls and strikes. No, I, I think as, you know it's a whole part of the fun of watching a game, and you know you get something to bitch about from time to time. Mm-hmm. You know, if you take that <laughs> away, you know what's the fun? I'm so. not even. Yeah, I, re- I respect that opinion, but I'm, I also I'm I'm kind of leaning towards I'm okay with them replacing it because I you know the the strike zone is a defined area. Yeah. And when when you're expanding the plate in the zone, it kind of changes the game a little bit in ways that. Uh, I don't know if are necessarily beneficial to the the product on the field, but yeah. 
I could, I'm fine with either way, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. I know, uh, you know. So I, I'm, uh, I'm 56. My son's 28, and when he, when he, we first started playing computer games when he would have been eight years old or whatever, the only game I could ever beat him at was EA Baseball, because there was some strategy involved. And and before long, it wasn't so much how much you knew about baseball it was your hand-eye coordination on those joysticks. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh shit! Well, you know, if there's the one thing I can beat my son at was baseball, and even now I can't can't do that anymore. You know, because they've <laughs> taken the controls away. So. So yeah, I, uh, of course it's an old guy saying "get off my lawn," but uh. <laughs> <laughs> right, get off my lawn in the video game world. Yeah. yeah. Well, do you, have you been out here yet, Mike, to Yakima? Have you ever come out and uh, seen us uh, where the hops are grown and, uh, and and come through selection and all that? We haven't been to selection yet. It's we've just been head down so busy up for the last seven years. I think we're planning on coming up this year. We've been Great. to the area uh, when we bought a Mahine. We were in Pasco. And so we drove through some hop fields out there. Mm-hmm. And I had a friend who lived in Seattle, so I've been to Seattle quite a few times, but mm-hmm. we haven't really made it out to where you guys are. Um, but it is kind of a, a, a goal, obviously. Our local uh, sales uh, director in that region, Steve Lahneman, uh, says you got to mm-hmm. get out here. He speaks very highly of, uh, of all of you there and uh, tasting your beer. Uh, we're, we're glad and proud to call you a... Uh, a partner and a customer there so uh we're, you're oh, welcome you. anytime mike uh, to come out and see us thank you, you. that would be fantastic as long as you bring a case of this ninja versus unicorn <laughs> that's right um, yeah I, uh, I think you guys have fresher ninja versus unicorn than anyone in <laughs> chicago right now because that was packaged oh. two days ago nice what's yeah. one of the one of the wonderful things about this beer as we've been sipping it through the broadcast is uh it's warming up and all of the hop flavors yep. and aromas just starting to come out of this it stays uh, real good too yeah oh yep. my goodness this yeah. is an yeah. amazing beer we're both Thank down to so kind much. of that last sip and it still tastes really good absolutely mm-hmm. yeah it's a pretty like traditional west coast style approach um mm-hmm. yeah so and there's a reason those beers were so popular you know there's a lot of attention being paid to other techniques and other ways to get hop flavor and in, into beers but you know, there's, there's reasons some things become classics. So uh, well, we weren't trying to reinvent the wheel. We we're just trying to you know, put our spin on it. You nailed, you nailed that. You nailed one, it. Mike. It's a great yeah, one. Thank you. And it's thank a, it's you. a, it's a, it's a fun uh, can design for those of you who are only <laughs> listening. If you can see it or get to Chicago, get one because these are things you put on your shelf. They're kind of cool. Drink it first, and then <laughs> yeah, put right, it on right. yourself. So, well, yeah. thanks, thanks a lot for joining us, Mike. Uh, we appreciate it. Best of luck for you and all of the gang at Pipeworks, and uh, hope to see you out here in Yakima. Yeah, we'll see you soon. Yeah, whether you're making beer or watching baseball, Mike, we wish you nothing but good hops. All right, thank you so much. All right, take care. Take care.